Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Cole Petum here as always, and it feels like it's been forever uh, since we've done a podcast and since Villa have played, but of course, Villa have played as of this past Friday. You're hearing this on the Monday, of course, a 1-0 win over Southampton. Jacob Ramsey getting the lone goal in what was a very, uh, I guess maybe not the greatest promotion for a podcast, but a very drab and uh, gritty result if you want to give it some um a little bit of positivity in some way, but albeit Villa aren't playing well, but they got the results. So that's all that matters. But of course I am joined by Tom Nightingale as well. Tom, it's been a while, but how's it going for you? It has been a while, hasn't it? You're right. It felt like, felt like so long that the draw against Man City feels like a month, month ago. ago. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, nice. It's always, always, always feel a bit risky when you're playing on a Friday because there's the potential for your weekend to be ruined before it starts. Um, so it's nice for it to go the other way. Uh, always a lovely feeling, isn't it, when Villa win? And uh, it doesn't happen, hasn't been happening too often these days. Um, I think you're right about being drab. It wasn't exactly, you know, no one's going to remember that game, really, are they? Um, but a win's a win. So can't be too, given the way that things have gone so far, can't be too disappointed with that. Um, I'll say early on as well, like I'm, I'm really, really pleased for Jacob Ramsey um to get his first goal of the season because yeah, I think he's you know there was a lot of expectation I think on him after last season because he had such a great breakout season especially when he went on that run where it seemed like he was scoring or assisting you know every other game um and I thought his performances like so many of our team to be honest had been a little bit flat early this season but assist against City goal this weekend um not too shabby at all. So yeah, really pleased for him. And just, I mean, just an important win when it, it was, I think it was really, it was really disappointing that we didn't get to play Leicester because they're in a real, they're in a real situation, aren't they at the moment? And I think by the time that game's rearranged, it's probably going to be 2023. Um, and to be quite frank, who knows what position Leicester will be in by that point. So that was a real shame. And so I think that game being, being postponed made it even more important to, to get the three points against Southampton. So uh, yeah, job done. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when they lost, was it 6-2 against Spurs? Yeah. I believe so. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that that puts that in perspective. And also by that time, probably Brennan Rogers will be gone. So any opportunity to actually have some kind of mental advantage that Villa fans probably think we would have going into that game will be gone. But that's Villa's luck. I feel like that happens all the time when we actually want to play someone, something kind of, buggers up and it just doesn't happen but of course looking at the table very quickly of course Villa sit now 13th on seventh points after seven games minus four goal differential of course Bournemouth Wolves Palace and Everton uh, West Ham and of course Leicester are still on six games so and there's a bunch of other teams still on six games too so there'll be a little bit of catch-up I'm sure we'll maybe drop a place or two depending how those pick up um actually looking at it, it has nothing to do with this podcast i'm shocked to say that crystal palace is 16th for some reason i thought they were doing much better than us but regardless of that it's good to know um but getting back into it tom i mean with the initial setup i mean it's pretty obvious what we knew it to expect in terms of the lineup um of course there were some doubts and we did a twitter spaces on Thursday. So cheeky plug, go follow us on 7,500 to hold. If you want to get involved with those probably over a couple of weeks, we do them. Um, and of course there was concerns about Emmy Martinez being, um, or missing out, I should say through illness, uh, Robin Olson as well through a knee injury. There was some concern over, um, Ollie Watkins too with illness, but all of them seemed to pull through. Olson was on the bench. Uh, Emmy Martinez 
didn't really seem to take much of a warm up. Um, I did see a funny gif of the warm up being done in the villa uh, toilet. So if that's where it was done, fair enough. And he picks up a clean sheet when he's ill too. So fair enough as well. Ollie Watkins makes it too. But I mean, in terms of the lineup as I guess, as it not being surprising, were you happy with it for the most part? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm. I have this problem of I like. I I think I like Emmy Brendier a little bit too much because I'm always disappointed when when Emmy Brendier is not in the lineup. But I I didn't have any complaints when I saw. I know there's a lot of talk about John McGinn. You know, a lot of fans want John McGinn dropped, which I do understand based on his performance level is not really where you want it to be. But I think a, a lot of our fans need to sort of um, open their eyes to the fact that John John McGinn is not getting dropped. Like he's just not. I know what Gerard said about having multiple leaders in the squad and being captain doesn't guarantee in games, but like it's going to take. It would take a lot for for Gerard to drop John McGinn, I think. Um, and actually, I thought I thought McGinn was one of honestly. I thought McGinn was one of our poorer players for most of the game. Um, I thought he stepped up a bit last ten fifteen minutes to sort of make sure that we held on to the win. But um, and then Coutinho. I was happy to, I was, you know, sometimes I, I don't really feel like Coutinho is a, a player for every game. And we said this before on the pod, I think, like, I'm wary of us uh, seeing Coutinho as like an automatic starter because I don't think that's good for us as a club or even for Coutinho, to be honest. But I did think Southampton at home was a good game to start him in. And I actually thought he, honestly, I think it was his best performance of the season so far. I thought he was... Um, uh, probably our driving force going forward, looking to make things happen. Um, a lot more, looked a lot more comfortable and consistent on the ball. Um, and I thought Watkins, you know, you mentioned Watkins because he was, there was some doubt. I was expecting to see Danny Ings up front based on the talk about Watkins being ill and stuff before the game. I thought considering that Watkins was apparently not very well um, before the game and also considering that Ollie Watkins, I think has a difficult role in our team. He's got quite a thankless job, really, leading the line. Doesn't get that many chances. Is often sort of tasked with holding the ball up when he's got two defenders on him, you know, breathing down his neck. And and I thought he did very, very well, really. The last two games, I thought this is after City as well. I, I think he's leading the line really well. About as well as you can do for a team like us, who, to be frank, we're not experts at keeping hold of the ball we don't create chance after chance after chance in the game so like like I said it's quite a thankless job for him but I think he's leading the line really well hit the woodwork again didn't he I saw some stat that he's I think only there's only I think it's only I saw a stat only Ashley Young has hit the woodwork more times for Ollie Watkins for Villa in the Premier League ever because Watkins hit this, hit the, he's hit the woodwork ten or eleven times now in like just over. Wow, how long has he been? Is this his third season? Third season, yeah, yeah. Doesn't um, even feel like that. He does so. seem he does seem very unlucky. There was that season, wasn't it? Two two seasons ago, I think, where he was hitting. Felt like every other game he hit the woodwork or he had a goal disallowed for some kind of really marginal offside or handball decision back when those decisions were being called. Um, so I think he's quite an unlucky player, to be honest. But um, I mean, I'm a big fan of him. I think sometimes his Sometimes his first touch lets him down and that sort of stuff, but partly because we're we're asking him to do so much, ball into feet and holding up the play or launching long balls forward and asking him to win headers against centre backs who are like three or four inches taller than he is. Um, I thought he had, a, I thought he, he was one who had a really good game. Um, and then the the other big sort of selection thing for me was, I guess, the centre back decision again. You know, who to Mings? I'm very glad that we've seen to be back into a position where Mings is virtually an automatic pick because I've I've said this a lot of times over the last twelve months, I, I guess, on the, on this podcast. But I on an an almost universal rule for me is that we play better with Tyrone Mings in the team. I really I can't really bring to mind a game where he hasn't played and we've been better off without him. I thought he was absolutely colossal. Um, this weekend, uh, like some, I think he, there was, a, you know, won all of his, won all of his aerial jewels and won all of his tackles on the ground. I think, um, but and it's that that leadership that he brings, and he seems he seems back, doesn't he? He had like he had he had a little bit of a dip, I guess, and then obviously there was the off field stuff with having the captaincy taken off him, and then you know being dropped and that sort of stuff. But 
I, I think he's really back to his best. He was just absolutely dominant, I thought. And I never... I mean, Southampton were poor, let's be real. Like Villa this season in the league, we've beaten two teams who played very poorly on the day in Everton and Southampton. Like you can only beat what's in front of you. Um, but I didn't, I just didn't ever feel like we were in danger of conceding, to be honest. And I think a large part of that was down to how well marshaled our defence was. Um, I, you know, so I, I had no problems with the lineup when it was announced. And I thought we weren't particularly inspiring in our performance, but. I thought we were a very good value for the win, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't remember Southampton having a shot, but I'm just looking at the stats. And apparently they had one on target. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting when you break it down. Uh, I mean, Jared would be happy, I guess. We had 53% of the possession, so there we go. We led that. Happy days for him. We had 11 shots, apparently. I do not remember there being 11 shots, um, three of them being on target. Uh, to Southampton's one, of course. Uh, Southampton apparently had seven shot attempts. Uh, we had six corners to their three, and we both had 13 fouls each. Of course, one of those corners being Dougie Louise trying to score again. Um, I, I, I love the video of Villa fans literally now yelling shoot from corners, and it almost yeah. coming off every single time. I never thought that would be someone's skill set, especially within the Villa side, but nonetheless, we're lethal from corners now. So that's you good know, and I don't actually mind it because, like, I would have, if you'd have asked me before this season, if you'd have told me we were going to shoot from most, you know, Douglas Louise was going to be taking our corners for a start and he was going <laughs> to shoot from most of them, I'd have been like, what the hell are you talking about? But it seems like every time he does it, we either score or we nearly score. So if that's the tactic we want to, we want to, we want to go with, then fine. It's, it work, seems to work uh, pretty often. So. Well, it, it's funny too, though, because you think it's so obvious now that it's happening. Like, and he scored what? Is it three corners now, or something like this season? Or two yeah, or three? if you count the pre- if you count the preseason one, it's three. Yeah, so counting that because I'm going to because it is an amazing stat. Like, you think teams would figure that out and figure a way, but it just seems to keep causing a lot of trouble. I don't understand why. I don't understand how. But we regardless- seem to have perfect. We seem to have perfected the art of like blocking off the goalkeeper in a way that's not quite a foul, <laughs> like just just under the line, the threshold of a foul on the goalkeeper, which is quite a skill in itself, given how overprotected goalkeepers are. Well, at least Villa have uh, perfected one thing in, in <laughs> the last McPhee, few seasons. Austin McPhee earning his money, just shoot, yeah, just shoot, lads. <laughs> just <laughs> Austin, what what should we do from the corners today? Ah, I, nothing's working. Just shoot. Yeah. Come on, just just have a go. Like I, I, I really, honestly, I, I don't know how you plan for that. But regardless of, I wouldn't be shocked if it just won in one day at training, and they thought, you know what, this could this could work, this could really work. But anyways, more on a, more on a serious note, let's let's get over to something that's not good news, of course, and that's Bubakar Kamara. Of course, um, seems to be a knee injury from what I can see on replays and stuff, and of course, they kind of hoped. He would make it to halftime, but that didn't happen, of course. And I mean, it's just, it's Villa, isn't it, Tom? We, we just, we just can't have nice things at the end of the day. And you, and you sit back and wonder now, is it Dougie Louise that goes back into the defensive midfield position? Is it uh, Leonard Donker? Does, um, as we previously discussed pre-recording, does Marvelous Nakamba come back in from, I guess, the cold or wherever the heck he is these days? The nicest man in football is somehow disappearing. Um, but regardless of that, I guess, where do you sit with all that? And I mean, any time that I see Villa tweet out, get well soon to a player, usually yeah. it's rather significant. So we're going to have to figure something out soon, don't we? Well, that's what I was going to say. And that's why I thought like when you do, you get that, you know, wishing you a speeding recovery with the praying hands emoji <laughs> or whatever. That's it's, it's not, it's not a pulled hamstring. You're out for two weeks. Is it? If you, if you're putting that out really, I do, I do think it's a bit weird. I guess maybe they haven't had the results. It's gone for a scan and they haven't had the results yet or whatever, but it seems odd. I'm not sure if I was Villa's social media manager or I was, you know, whoever the social media manager reports to, I, uh, I'm not sure I'd have gone with tweeting out, you know, that kind of wishing you a speedy recovery, Booba, without any details of what the actual injury is, because it's, it's sort of going to, all it's really done is fueled concern, right? But I mean, it does, it getting very similar vibes, aren't you, to the Diego Carlos one. And it's just, if, if it is, if it is a long-term thing, like he's done his knee or whatever, and he's out for a few months, like that is, I don't, 
really think you can call it anything other than spectacularly bad luck to have your two, probably, well, I mean, your two main, okay, Coutinho on a permanent deal, but like your two main summer signings, the two players who were brought in to be the real difference makers to the core of your team. If within the first seven games of the season, they are, they both get injuries that keep them out for several months. That is very unfortunate. And it's just the, the most frustrating thing really is that Kamara, like he's only, I was looking before we, you know, before we came on, he's only missed. I think before he came off, came off just before half time, didn't he this weekend? I think before that he'd only missed something like 15 minutes of our league campaign. I think he started every game. He came off in the last 10 minutes twice, I think. And apart from that, he's played the full 90. And he's clearly, he's clearly one of those players that if he stayed fit, I'd have backed him. If he'd stayed fit, I'd have backed him to get 38 starts this season in the league. I, I couldn't really see a situation other than suspension or injury where Gerard's going to be looking at his team and thinking he doesn't want Bubakar Kamara at the, at the base of midfield. Um, and, you know, the most frustrating thing now is A, Kamara's looked really assured, like not spectacular, but you're not going to, you're not necessarily going to be spectacular playing in a sort of defensive midfield role, are you? But he's just, he looks, he's very clearly a very good player. And it's clearly, I think, a real coup for us to have got him, especially on a free ahead of the likes of Atletico Madrid or whoever else it was who was, who was rumored to be with him. Like, and so now to be back in the position that we were in last season of, not really apart from Nakamba who Gerard is another he's another one that Gerard doesn't really seem to rate and I know that fans are a bit split on Nakamba um about whether he is good enough to be that midfield anchor on a regular basis in the Premier League which I do think is a fair concern because he's good at he's good at breaking up the play and that sort of stuff but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the next step does he that Kamara has where you can win a tackle and then you can spray like a 30 yard pass out to the wing or whatever like defensive midfielder <laughs> yeah yeah with no disrespect to him he does he has the first part but doesn't quite have the second part and so now to be back in that position of like like you said do you do you suddenly bring the who's had like no game time at all really do you suddenly put the put the weight on his shoulders of having to be Kamara's replacement because that if you don't go down that route Dendonka maybe but I've seen a lot of stuff talking about De- Dendonka I didn't, I mean, obviously I saw him play for Wolves a few times, but never really paid particular, particularly close attention. But a lot of fans seem to think he's a bit more sort of box to box or a bit more number eight rather than just a sit deep kind of midfielder. So do you put, do you throw Dendonka straight in? Or, because if you don't do that, then it's kind of got to be the, the sort of horrible situation that we were in last last season where you're asking Douglas Louise to play in a position he doesn't want to play in or you're putting a lot of the defensive burden on McGinn's shoulders, which is not really what you want, given the narrative around McGinn's performances already this season. Like you don't want to ask him to be doing, to be playing a role. that's not really his, his wheelhouse. So it's just really frustrating after thinking, you know, moving quickly and decisively. I think we were all as fans universally impressed with the way that Villa did business to bring Kamara in. And we were, I remember saying on a podcast, on a spaces before the season starts, like if Kamara can be the player we want him to be, we've upgraded massively and we've, we've hopefully solved a long standing problem. And so now to be seven games into the season, and I know nothing's been confirmed at, at the time of recording. I do think that might change uh, on Monday when this comes out. I think we might get some word. Um, but if he is out for a few months, just what a headache. For us as fans, what a headache for Gerard to solve again, and you know they've got to be, they've got to be pretty frustrated, haven't they? Well, that's the thing too. I mean, you, you look at the schedule now, and I mean, maybe there almost is a little bit of kind of a blessing in disguise with the international break. Maybe it lets Jared and the coaching staff kind of figure things out. But realistically, we're just going to be. I mean, if Dougie comes right back in, then we're basically with the same squad as we were last season, um, even after making all these additions, um, which yeah. is massively frustrating and just kind of a sign of I don't know if it's fortune or what you might call it at that at this point but we just can't have nice things but in terms of Kamara's injury I'm going to assume it's at least a month and if that's the case right now of course we're recording on Sunday the 18th so that would mean in a month's time he's already missing Leeds on October 2nd Forest October 10th Chelsea on October 16th I mean realistically you, you probably at this point, I mean, November 13th is the last game before the World Cup break. So 
if we even get him past that or before that, I should say, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I'd say, like it's purely speculative at the moment, but I just just from the tone of the tweet and the way it's the fact that he got injured when like forty second minute something like that, and he couldn't even you know in that situation nine times out of ten, what you're trying to do as a manager and as a player is get them through to half time right, and then assess you got fifteen minutes to assess them to stretch it out to like you know get the physio in and stuff, and the fact that he couldn't even make it the you know three or four minutes to half time then couple that with the tone of the tweet afterwards. It's purely speculation at this point, but I just, I really get the feeling that we've seen the last of him until after the World Cup, so Boxing Day at the earliest. And it's just, I mean, I suppose in a way it's kind of a blessing. I mean, we're going to have a, one hell of a fixture pile up if we're not careful after the World Cup, but Leicester being postponed and then the World Cup break, at least we have the majority of our games to play after Boxing Day this year. So at least he's, you know, I suppose if you look at it that way, if it's a three-month injury, for example, he's going to miss far fewer games this season than he would in a normal season. So I guess that's that's me desperately trying to spin a positive out of the situation. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a huge blow if he's out for a long time, really. Yeah. Well, let's hope it's only for a very, very short period of time and the scans come back or whatever they need to do for assessment purposes. And yeah, we'll look, we'll look like doom mongers now if it comes back and it's like uh, yeah, two week. weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But I, I don't know if you've heard, Tom, but do you know who's replacing him in the, the France squad? Yeah, it's uh, it's our, our guy Jordan Veritu, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I did see that. Yeah, poor, poor, poor Kamara. He was in that France squad for about forty-eight hours, wasn't he? Because yeah. he was called in to replace somebody. Um, yeah, I know that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> one of justice. many, pl- one of a few players from that that awful relegation season who, you know, surprise, surprise, turned out to actually be quite good once they weren't wearing a Villa shirt anymore. Does seem to be. Sometimes seems to be a bit of a pattern, doesn't it, really? Well, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, someone's like, and it was a Villa account tweeting it out. So I thought, oh, someone's just having me on. Like, there's no way this is actually true. No, it's true. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. If somewhere just down the line in the, the France setup, they thought that'd be funny just to throw the throw the jokes at us. But regardless, that's uh, that's actual news. And it's, uh, I guess, like I said, poetic justice in some ways, probably for Veritu, considering how poor... His time at Villa was uh, from an overall performance standpoint from the whole squad. But regardless of that, um, back to the game a little bit regardless. I mean, of course, like I said, Jacob Ramsey does score. And I mean, Tom, like we said, there wasn't many clear goal scoring opportunities in this game. But for Jacob Ramsey to score just before halftime too, of course, an in-swinging ball. Like we said, uh, Watkins heading it, heading it, big save from the Southampton keeper. I do have to say, then it going awkwardly off the ball from that save, or off the crossbar, I should say, from that save, right to Jacob Ramsey. And I know there's a lot of controversy, probably more so from the Southampton perspective, because I couldn't give a crap if it was offside because it counted now. Um, from basically what Villa have been done by in the past in terms of um, – not being an active player when the ball is being played into certain areas of the pitch, being played offside or playing onside, I should say, uh, once an opposition player has touched it. I mean, it wasn't a pretty goal. We had to be happy with it. But I guess to give Southampton fans, if there is that one or two of them that are viewing this for some weird reason, to give them maybe a little bit of a, a talking point to keep them here. Do you think it was offside? Should it have stood? No, it wasn't offside. Should have stood, yeah. That's, I mean, it's like it's one of those that I think we may we might have had some drama like two years ago or whatever when VAR, you know, we were VAR was getting all sorts of things wrong. But no, it's a deliberate attempt to play the ball by the defender, isn't it? To play the ball backwards and yeah, no, fine. What I will say though is that, like you said, it was a it was it's a goal very befitting of the game. I think it would have been very you know if had. Philip Coutinho, for example, bent one into the top corner from 30 yards. That wouldn't really have been reflective of the standard of the, of the game. So it's nice to get a bit of pinball in the box. Double crossbar, bit of a mess. Suited, yeah, suited the game nicely, didn't it? Like I said, I'm just, I'm really, I'm pleased for Ramsey. Because I was a bit, Ramsey was one player, I have to say, at the start of this season, I was a little bit concerned about because um, he set the bar quite high for himself last year. And I think as fans, we set the bar quite high, quite high for him. Um, because of that run he had, scored some great, scored some really good goals as well, didn't he? And uh, 
his performance level and then to to win. I can't remember which, I can't remember what award he won, but he won an end of season award, didn't he, last year? Was it a young player? I can't remember. Was it a young player? I can't remember. Probably. Um, <laughs> so he, you know, he set, we, he set the bar very high for himself and I think expectations were quite high. So I did, I did, I did expect um, that standard to maybe drop a little bit this year because it's hard to maintain that at such a young age. Um but I'm pleased for him, really pleased for him, because his great assist for Bailey against City, all, you know, those months ago, it feels like that game. Um, and then, yeah, just right place, right time, wasn't it, really? You know, this weekend. Um, did well to, I know it was underside of the bar, but did, did well to keep it down, um, keep it down enough. And hopefully he can kick on from that, because I think he hasn't, he hasn't played badly by any stretch. I don't want to make it sound like I think he's played badly, but he's, he hasn't exactly, lived up to the high standard he set last year. Um, but hopefully he can kick on from that now. Bit of a sh- Again, it's a bit of a shame we've got another break, really, because it'd be good to... We've finally got some momentum going. Um, it's another reason I was really pleased. Obviously, apart from the fact we needed three points, I was really pleased that we won, no matter what the game was like, you know, performance level. Um, I was pleased that we won because it really felt like we'd missed it with the Leicester game being postponed. We might lose that momentum from coming back against City and putting in what... I think everyone agreed was our best performance of the season, really, against against City. I was a bit concerned that with the Leicester game being postponed, all of that momentum and good work would sort of, you know, evaporate and we'd 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 lose that we'd lose that momentum. So great to get a win. Shame to have an international break. Um but yeah, if we can come back after I know looking ahead, but if we can come back Leeds, it's one of those I hate I hate playing Leeds. Because yeah. you feel like it could be pretty much any score, don't you? Really? Um, I just I still can't work Leeds out at all under Jesse Marsh. I have no idea if they're any good, really. <laughs> um, but I think that'd be. I actually think that'd be quite. I think that'd be quite a good game. I think it might be quite action packed. Um, and if we can come out of that with a with a positive result, then hopefully we can put this start to the season start to the season behind us and really kick on in the sort of whatever five or six weeks we'll have before we have the World Cup break. Yeah, I mean, like we're like I was saying before we started recording, and I'm sure other Villa fans and football fans feel like this as well. Like it's just so hard to get into the season with the amount of breaks and how stop starty it's been, especially as of the last basically month. Um, of of course, we all know what happened. Of course, with the passing of the Queen and stuff like that, so that wasn't expected. That definitely could have been handled better in terms of delaying games and all that kind of stuff. But regardless of getting into that conversation, that's now outdated. Um, just looking at the table now, really briefly talking about leads here, I'm actually stunned to say they're in 10th place on eight points after six games. For some reason, I thought they were below us, maybe because last season was so poor for them. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. I, I haven't figured out leads since they beat us when we were actually unreal for that like three or four game period yeah. at the start of uh, our 10th place season where I thought we we're just going to absolutely smash them and they smashed us. But uh, <laughs> yeah. regardless of that, hopefully we can actually figure them out. Maybe Gerard and uh, Jesse Marsh will get in a fight. It seems like Jesse Marsh is a very, very aggressive person. So he's feisty. He seems feisty, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah that, that'd be, that'd be a good spout, but I feel like Austin McPhee or someone would get um, in, in the midst of that somehow and hair pulling or something would happen. But y- y- you never know. <laughs> I'd forgotten. I'm looking through Leeds' Leeds results. I'd forgotten. They beat, I'd f- completely forgotten that they beat Chelsea three 0 I had completely forgotten about that game. So they've beaten Chelsea. They beat Chelsea three 0 and then a few weeks, two weeks later, they lost five two at Brentford. So I just like I have no idea. I have just no idea what to expect since they've been promoted. Really, I've had no idea what to expect from them. Anytime I've watched Leeds, either against Villa or just as a neutral. No idea what what I'm getting myself into. So uh, yeah, it's it's hard. I think the main thing it's gonna be really interesting to see how right, it's gonna be really interesting to see how Gerard sets up, and it is gonna be that midfield. Who's the third midfielder? I if we we're picking the team right now, if I was picking the team right now, um, it would be Dendonka coming in for me because you can bring Louise in, but the problem is if you and I think Louise should. I think Louise will be feeling very aggrieved not to start. But who'd you start him instead of? Yeah. Fans will say McGinn, but dream like get real, like not being funny. Then is 
John McGinn's not getting dropped. So then do you drop Ramsey, who's just got an assist and a goal in his last two games? You don't drop Ramsey, do you, at this point? So my problem now is that I'd like to see Louise start, but not if it's going to be the situation where he's being pushed back and he's playing as a number six, a position he's said he doesn't like playing in, a position he's clearly not as good in as he is as a like an eight going forward and getting getting involved in some of our attacks. Um, so I think given that, if I was picking the team right now, it'd be De- Bryn Deng. Then Donker in. Don't necessarily sit him as a six, like a, a very flat six where he doesn't come forward, but like definitely put the put the majority of the defensive duty and the grit and the hard work in midfield on his shoulders because I think that's a that's a role he can fill better than Louise. And then it just means that you've got good, still got quite good options from the bench. Obviously, another factor with the midfield thing is Tim. Tim was getting a few minutes, wasn't he, at parts of last season, and he's not around now either. Um. Doesn't look like Sanson. I mean, he, he appeared on the bench, uh, Morgan Sanson. I was, which I was stunned. The resurrection of Morgan Sanson, proof that he's proof that he's still alive. Um, but I don't think we can. I don't think we can expect him to get minutes anytime soon. Really, poor guy. Um, so I think it's going to be Dendonka. It's it's we don't, it's only really Dendonka and Louise that we have now yeah. to 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 fight out for that third midfield spot. Realistically, uh, unless Nakamba does come back into the fold, which I think he. I think he should start to at least get time from the bench now if if Kamara's out for a while because you need to sort of start getting him some minutes so that if the game calls for it or like what if Dendonka gets injured or picks up an injury and like then you're really all of a sudden you're almost down to bare bones in midfield just a rid- like ridiculous to be talking about that after thinking we'd solved the midfield problem you know just so frustrating uh it, it's never dull but the thing I was thinking about too Tom is was it last season? And correct, uh, maybe you won't remember, but correct me if I'm wrong. Did Callum Chambers play at DM against Leeds last season? Was that the game he played? Can't remember. But okay, regardless of that, maybe he's an option remember. too. The, the, to be honest, the fact that he still isn't playing over cons is, does shock me. Um, we don't need to have that debate because I feel like we've had that debate 10 times. But I mean, it is a consideration. And, it and is. I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about that yeah. as an option, to be honest. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really like, like we said, I, I don't want to go too much into leads because of course it's like two weeks away now, <laughs> but, um, but I don't really know what to expect from them. A, a lot of it under, uh, Bielsa was pace and speed and high press and under Jesse Marsh. I'm not really sure. I, I just know it's Captain America or Team America basically based on the summer recruitment. So, um, aside from that, I don't know what to expect, but I would not be shocked to see. Louis start and then did Donker come in to kind of clear up the rest of the game to if we're Maybe, yeah. out, or vice versa if we're chasing it kind of swap it out for someone who can play the ball a little bit better in Louise but regardless of that I think Nikamba probably will be on the bench considering tomorrow I'll be out of the squad now you would imagine unless we just put another youth player in there but uh oh. or I don't know maybe there's another player we've forgotten about from like six seasons ago that's still kicking around I I don't know I don't know if there is. I would not be shocked at this point. Sign Chris Samba for like a month loan or something like that. He could sit on the bench. I'm sure he's not doing much these days. Um, but anyways, that's just a, a, an homage to uh, Steve Bruce playing him at striker. Um, anyways. Yeah, I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten about that. Glory days, man. <laughs> at least we're not doing that anymore. We yeah, we've come a long way. It's a, it's a good reminder of how far we've come, isn't it, really? Yeah, for people that can be annoyed about we only uh, beat Southampton 1-0 in a, a pretty... I guess drab victory. We can always remember the times where Chris Samba started a striker or we spent 15 odd million on Ross McCormack and he scored basically like three goals or whatever it was and got stuck in his own gate. Um, but regardless of those times, we don't have to talk about them. Anymore. One more, <laughs> just back to the, like one more thing I wanted to mention about the game is yep. um, I thought young was good again. Brilliant. Really good. Like I've been very, very re- impressed with Ashley Young since he came in. And like, I, I sort of can't believe, I remember like when we, when we first signed him last summer, I was really, really pleased with his signing. Cause I thought it's just one, just one Serie A fitter somehow now physically fitter than he was as a like 23 year old, you know, when he was going up and down the wing. Um, and he's really got that now. So as we've talked about before, like a bit of gamesmanship, which is, Honestly, it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing I think we've been missing for too long is knowing how to close out a game and, you know, knowing what you can and can't get away with. Like he's a very, he's a, he's a, a veteran and he's a, he's a sort of wily, wily old character, isn't he? Ashley Young. He's, uh, he, he knows what he's doing. 
Um, but his, his, his performance level has been great. And I, I don't, I can't really believe. I know that with a club, I think any football club has this, but obviously we can only talk about what we know with like with Villa, but like on, you know, online, on social media and stuff, you've, you do get an extreme range of opinions from fans. I, I really struggle to believe that there was a section of our fan base who were against the idea of re-signing Ashley Young on another one-year deal. I remember seeing it at the time. People were like, thought it was a terrible idea to re-sign him. And I just, I couldn't get my head around it at all because even I was thinking, you know, similar to what we said when we signed him first time, you know, when we signed him uh, last summer, even if he doesn't play very much, what a guy to have in the dressing room. But the fact that he's come in, I thought he was absolutely exceptional against City when he came off the bench. Kind of locked down Phil Foden for the for most of the game, you know. And then I thought he was really good again, really good again. Um, you know, not not doesn't not perfect, doesn't you know get absolutely everything right. But he's genuinely, I feel a bit sheepish for being slightly surprised at how high his performance level is because I should have known really playing as a wing back in an Antonio Conte system and winning the league you know to to fit into the year before we signed re-signed him um I would never have thought that if Cash got injured which by the way no do we know when Cash is coming back I, I feel like I haven't really heard very much about this Cash injury which is a bit weird but I was you know I I'd have never have thought that Matty Cash getting injured and possibly being one of those injuries that rolls on and you don't know when he's going to come back. I'd have never thought that I'd have felt so comfortable without Cash at right back. But actually, I'm I have no qualms at all about Villa continuing with Young at right back for the for the foreseeable future. Because I think he's been absolutely excellent. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm just kind of looking at the Maddie Cash stuff right now, as you mentioned it. Um, I know he's not obviously traveling with Poland to play international games, so I think it's just like international break thing, based on what I can see. Um, yeah, that's been one that's been really under the wraps and not really talked about, which is surprising. But maybe that's also because Cash hasn't played that well this season, probably thus far. You'd have to say as much as we probably expected well, near the end of last season. Well, on that topic, you know, I talk a bit. Might we could be interesting to have it'd be interesting to know the other guys opinion you know danny and seven simon's opinions on this but I, I, like I'll, I'll ask you what do you think genuinely when cash is fit again do you think gerard's got a bit of a select selection dilemma on his hands there or do you think cash automatically comes straight back in i think it de- i think it depends when he comes in if it's right back against Leeds, then you're kind of going into that schedule and of course i just kind of got rid of Villa's schedule so I'll just quickly pull it up so I actually know what I'm talking about but it's tricky because you're going to have just a jam-packed schedule basically up until the World Cup break so yes and no I feel like there's going to have to be rotation regardless like for example um, we played Chelsea on the 16th and then four days later on the 20th we play Fulham three days later then we play Brentford and then only what six days later we play Newcastle. So there has to be that rotation in there. You'd figure anyways. Mm-hmm. So th- I, that's kind of, I mean, we had to bulk up the squad regardless, but I, I think this is kind of the main example of why to do so now in regards to the next game. I mean, I'd play Ashley Young. I have no issue with that. I, I do agree. Like I, I think there is some surprise that, he's playing this well, but I think there's also that 
there's almost like a disconnect or a struggle for people to comprehend the Ashley Young of old Villa versus modern Villa now when he's what 38. Um, but let, let's be real. Look at John Terry in the past. You can look at Ronaldo, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the list goes on and on. Players are older and older, are still playing at the higher level because people have figured out how to take care of themselves. Actually, isn't that hard if you continuously do it for a longer period of time. So, I mean, he switched his game set. It's all about pace and speed and just kind of beating your man and kind of tracking back in that manner. It's about timing and positioning. And he's clearly mastered that. Like you said, you don't play for Antonio Conte at that age, unless you're more than capable and fit enough yeah. to be in that regime. Cause we've all heard the, the fitness requirements and demands that he um, requires of his teams. So at the end of the day, hundred percent, I mean, it doesn't really, maybe some people can say cash is better going forward. I mean, as of this season, I would probably argue that's been a bit of a struggle because some of the set piece and uh, crossing deliveries from his side have been particularly poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a toss up. I know people also wanted Kane Kessler Hayden to stick around, but I think that's also a pipe dream of just wanting young, hungry yeah. players in there to kind of succeed. Um, when they probably need to go out and develop. So I can see all kind of points about it. But I mean, at the end of the day, too, um, if Cash was out even longer, it would solely be Ashley Young's responsibility because there's no way in hell that I could ever see Freddie Gilbert playing this in this Villa team under Jared ever again for reasons I will never understand why. But regardless of that, it is what it is. I, th- I mean, I think the fact that even the fact that we're having this conversation, I guess, and the fact that cash isn't an automatic starter shows a bit of a shift in um mindset i guess um because i'd have thought you know last season you know i'd have thought cash is one of the i'd have called matty cash one of the least likely villa players to um have his place in the side in jeopardy you know there was no way that cash was going to be volunt you know but going to be taken out of the starting lineup unless it was an enforced change Whereas now it's, you know, I, I do think it's a genuine conversation about the way forward at right back. Um, and like you say, maybe, you know, the fact that we're going to have such a, we get, the fact we're going to have such a packed schedule. Um, there may, yeah, I imagine there might be some, there might be some rotation. And at least now with Young, like you've got the, got the luxury of being able to ease cash back in. Cause if it's like a muscle injury and it's one of those that, okay, you do recover, but it's still a little bit, you know, tight for a couple of weeks once you're back in training or whatever. Like we don't, we don't have to rush Matty Cash back if we don't want to do it anymore. So that's, um, like you say, it shows the importance of having, shows the importance of having that squad depth and having very, very capable deputies in, in, in these positions. Well, just being able to pull him out of the firing line in general too, if he's not playing well, like we didn't really have that luxury last season. I mean, we still had Ashley Young, but it just, I mean, it seems like we just played Matty Cash, whether it was through any, kind of I guess level of performance which is frustrating because when you know a player is struggling for a month and you can see it as fans it's it's just massively aggravating but now I mean there is that solid option which again like I said has been there for the last season plus but it's nice to see it actually coming to fruition where fans are actually comfortable with it now I I mean I I think the Man City result just like I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Ashley Young but I think that impressive of a performance against that impressive of a team has really raised his stock to a mm. insane amount where if it was a, a draw or a win against no disrespect to like, I don't know, say like a Fulham or something, I don't feel like we'd probably have as much stock in it, but the fact that it is yeah. easily the best that's team true. in the league, that has massively helped. I think that's a fair point. And actually you were t- talking about the, um, talking about Villa schedule, you know, coming up and you mentioned, there's a Chelsea game coming up mid-October, right? Yeah, so Leeds away, Forest away, Chelsea at home. I'm almost in a situation where even if Cash is fit, I'm kind of I'm kind of finding myself feeling that I'd rather have Ashley Young against a team like Chelsea at right back than Cash. Because I think Young's defensive ability is better than I was giving it credit for last year. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the kind of... Chelsea at home is the kind of game as well where having Young's... Um, wiliness as I said before and his nous and his the kind of gamesmanship really comes in handy and I do think sometimes like Cash I really like Cash I think he's a very good player um, and got a lot of 
potential you know a lot of room to grow as well in terms of age and in terms of in terms of his his ability but he's still for me sometimes a little bit naive and i think you can get away with that with like not that leads and forest are easy games whatsoever but like you know you can maybe get <clears throat> away with that a little bit more whereas t- a game like chelsea um I'd almost rather have Young's experience and and now said anyway. I'm getting so far ahead of myself. Sorry, it's because there's a two. It's because there's a break coming up, an international break, and I don't want to confront the reality that Villa have just won, and then now we don't play again for two weeks again. Yeah, and we have to watch really drab international games, or oh, basically I'm, that's all social media will be. I don't. To be honest, I don't really pay attention to I'm much not, of it. There's no way I'm watching England. This no. I just I haven't watched I haven't watched an England game I don't think I've watched an England game in full since the the final I just ah oh, I don't know I don't care you know I just really don't care I honestly like I mean this has nothing to do with Villa but I would <laughs> honestly love if uh, major media outlets uh, TV outlets whatever like live stream lower division games or non-league games or something when there's no when there's international football like i need something like to be honest as a canadian especially when i see like i don't know i'm scrolling through it's like united states versus jamaica do i really want to watch that no i'm gonna skip through it it's like a mental holiday for almost two weeks um, without any premier league or villa or anything like that at least but at the end of the day, it is what it is. But the thing I did actually want to bring up quickly in regards to the whole Ashley Young discussion that we're randomly having, and to be honest, it's actually a good chat, so why not continue it here for a moment? I do kind of sit back and look at it too, and it, it's nice to know that, like you said, against Chelsea, like we don't have to have two bombarding fullbacks where it, it is massively, in my opinion, naive to go against a team like a Chelsea or a City or um, I wouldn't say United these days, but regardless of that, uh, Liverpool. um, And you're just going to basically have your fullbacks consistently on forward and expect them to get back and maintain that level of quality against very high opposition. I don't mind the idea of having Luca Dean do his thing on the one side and Ashley Young kind of hold it on the other side. I kind of like that kind of rotation, like you said, and it, it it's kind of almost a breath of fresh air. And whether that's Gerard finally cluing into that he needs to change things or it's an act of desperation that he needs to, whatever it is, it's nice to know that even though it's kind of a forced change, it's actually being done. And it's not expecting a 38-year-old to kind of have the same performance or the same play style as he yeah. did 10 years ago, um, which is, which is the nice thing. But anyways, we don't need to have the Jared debate. So um... it's, a, but it's an interesting point about the fullbacks <laughs> bombing forward. Like I, I think I'm not going to start a whole conversation about Leon Bailey right now, because otherwise we're going to be here for, uh, I can be here for hours. Um, I have my opinions on Bailey, but I'll save those for my, uh, I'll save those for my unfortunate Twitter followers. Um, what I will say is that I think, for example, about the fullbacks bombarding forward, I think, um, I think Leon Bailey, for example, is a better player when he's on the right wing and he's playing in front of Ashley Young than when he's playing with Matty Cash. Because Bailey and not... I think if you have Bailey on the right wing and and Young's behind him, I actually think that that offers a bit more security yeah. and it allows Bailey to sort of... Because, you know, Bailey's one of these players, a bit, like Ber- a bit like Bertie Troyore was, a bit chaotic and, like, obviously likes having the ball at his feet and naturally and understandably loses the ball quite a lot because he's probably the player in our team who tries the most with the ball with with the ball at his feet, tries to beat players. And, you know, so obviously you're not going to have a 100% success rate with that approach and you're going to lose the ball quite a lot. I'd much rather have Ashley Young on the halfway line, you know, while we're attacking on the right, you know, have him on the halfway line on the right wing than have Matty Cash, you know, almost at the byline like he is sometimes or alongside Bailey because then I think there's just bit, a bit more security and, in that regard so I think you know it's like I say like like we're, like we're saying really I think it's good to have the options and it's good that in in cash and in young we actually have two quite different um styles of full of, of right back I guess um and it does it allow I, I think I've been a bit I'm very critical of Gerard sometimes but one thing I've been pleased with is that I do think he's learned a bit of a lesson with that fullback situation because like that back end of last season, it was honestly at times it was a bit ridiculous the way we were trying to play. Yeah. Um, can play, you know, can play that with Rangers. No disrespect to them, but like if you got um, what James Tavernier is that their right back who scores like fifteen goals a season, <laughs> um, like that's fine for Rangers. But like if you try and do that against Chelsea, 
you know, at home in a few weeks' time. Going to get Raheem Sterling's going to tear you to shreds with like 30 yards of space to run into on, on the left wing. Um, and I think Gerard's learned his lesson a little bit in that regard, which is good. Like, and I, one about Gerard, I thought that I was, I was pleased with his post match interview. We've criticized him a few times about comes across as quite stubborn and quite arrogant sometimes, but I can't remember exactly what he said post game, but he said something about, you know, we tried to, we tried to run before we can walk. And it sounds a little bit like he's finally starting to learn some of the really hard lessons that you're faced with as a Premier League manager. It's, taken, it's kind, of, kind of kind of taken him long enough, to be honest. But hopefully we're getting to a point now where he's getting a little bit more savvy. Um, and if that is the case, I think we'll reap the reward in the coming weeks. But remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've talked ourselves into this whole Jared will finally get it thing for about a year now. Um it's still to be determined, to be honest. I have my doubts, but regardless of that, no, you, you are right. Like, it is nice to have that difference in tactical style. And, like, in regards to, like, a, a Bailey setup with Ashley Young, 100%. If and let, and The only way that works is unless you have an attacking, a wide attacking midfielder who is also willing to backtrack when you have overlapping fullbacks. And let's be honest. Bailey backtracks maybe once a game successfully. Yeah. Um, so realistically, Honestly, the, yeah. The, the best wide player we've had for that in recent years, in my opinion, was Trezeguet. I thought yeah. he was that was that was one of his real strengths, right? Uh, was that backtracking thing. Whereas, like, you just got to be realistic. You're not going to really get it from Bailey. The same way you're not really going to find Coutinho dropping deep to retrieve the ball in the yeah. field. You know, like you. I think I th- feel like as long as you know your players' strengths and weaknesses, and you play to those strengths and weaknesses, that's fine. It's it's when you it's when you sort of ignore that. It's when you ignore those truths that the issues really come right. Absolutely. Well, just to get back to the Southampton game briefly, uh, we'll do the three word reviews um, that our Twitter followers sent in, and the listeners, of course, you can follow us at seventy five hundred Holt on Twitter. Um, usually it goes out about anywhere between five to 15 minutes post-match. Um, and yeah, just send in your three word reviews on the result. There's always a bunch of them and there's some good interactions between um, followers and people kind of posting. So it's always good to see that. Oh, also some really uh, counterproductive arguments that I do enjoy kind of sitting back a few hours post-match and giggling at, but regardless of that, please keep doing it because it is enjoyable um, to read. So let's start with uh, Colin Frederick saying it was fine Adam Holt says important three points. Uh, Chinny 6-8 saying wins a win. Um, Harry thinks get him out as in Gerard still. Um, let's go to um, Hint Juan saying watching paint dry. Um, Mark says awful sack him. And I have read through a lot of these and I'm still stunned and I've read these two days ago and I'm still stunned to see how much negativity there is even after a win, but you know what? It was drab. So I will give um, people some credit. Mark saying paper papering over cracks, uh, Hampton Scott saying Konza looked better. Um, Tom Holder, truly awful match. Uh, JGX one did the job and we'll do about three or four. Why not? Um, Let's see. Seth says season sustaining win. Aston Villa rising. We will take that and we'll do two more. Let's scroll, scroll all the way to the bottom. There's like 90 of these. So uh, bear with me here. Uh, let's do uh Candon man saying scrappy, unconvincing win. And let's finish with uh, Jay Allen. Maybe the best way to describe this gritty dogged or er, Sorry, gritty, dogged, determined. I'm not sure why I tried to change his tweet in my mind, but regardless of that, actually, let's let's do one more because we have brought this up and we talked about it like 20 minutes ago. Uh, Wally saying, "Brucey Ball reincarnated." <laughs> yeah, we were gonna, we weren't gonna, uh, we weren't gonna broadcast that on the podcast, Rory. That was, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the thing I was picking up on just the one about papering over cracks. Yeah. The one thing I will say is like it remains to be seen, right? Like uh, if if we go on and we lose to Leeds and then we don't get a positive result forest away after that, then, I mean, A, 
Twitter will be absolute an absolute dumpster fire. But also we can have that conversation about papering over cracks. What like what I will say is we said this on a pod a few weeks ago, I think. Like it's in terms of the Gerard thing, like we I know I know for a fact that we all on this podcast have our have some level of reservation about about Gerard. I think that's natural. But the the one thing I'll really say is like there Perslow and our owners are clearly all in on Gerard. He's not going to get sacked anytime soon. No. Like, it's just not. Like they're not good. They haven't they haven't torn everything up appointed Gerard um brought in some signings for him in the summer just to sack him in like October it's not like I unless might be different if we lose 4-0 at Leeds and then lose 4-0 at Forest that might that might make it a bit more of a pressing issue but I just can't see it happening anytime soon so the only option we really have is to hope that he's learning as a manager hope that we continue to see improvement um and keep supporting Villa as we will do and we'll see We'll see where we are, I think. I think realistically, the only time at which the club will reassess will be going into the World Cup break. If yeah. things are if things are really bad by mid-November, maybe it becomes more of a legitimate question about what, you know, about our way forward. But I, until then, I think we can, to be honest, I think we can bench talk about Gerard's job security, to be honest. Yeah, like you said, the results would have to be catastrophic for him to leave anytime soon. I, I think it would have to be the... The World Cup break, and even then, there's probably going to be a bit of a lull because then you have kind of managers up in the air. That's I feel like it's going to be a very busy time for clubs to kind of decide what they're doing because they have an unusual break mid-season. So I wouldn't be shocked or shocked, I should say, to see a lot of chop and change managerial-wise um, and coaching staff-wise there. Um, one last thing, Tom, actually, before we mention the Villa women here quickly, this is a longer pod, which is completely fine, to be honest, because let's be honest, there's nothing really Villa related to probably talk about for a couple of weeks, at least until we hear the news about Bubakar Kamara's injury and how long that'll probably be, which my luck will be right after this gets out. But <laughs> uh, in regards to that match, uh, who is your uh, man of the match slash who is your match ball going to? Um, obviously, shout out to Jacob Ramsey for the for the winner. We've already shouted out a couple of people. Ashley Young, I thought was very good. Um, for me, though, I'm going to go with Tyrone Mings. Um, been a been a big. I'm, I'm a big fan of Tyrone Mings. Like you're either a big fan of him or you're a big uh, not fan of him, aren't you? Really, as a Villa fan, like there's no real middle ground. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was excellent. And like Southampton didn't really threaten very much, but that's partly because of I thought their game plan was a bit weird. I thought Hassan Hull should have gone for it a bit more. But you can only you can only you can only beat what's in front of you, and you can only manage the game that you're faced with. If you see what I mean. And I thought Mings was excellent won everything the leadership you know is we need that in the back line and I thought Conza had a better game and I actually think part of the reason no disrespect to Conza I, I think play, I think playing alongside Tyrone Mings makes Conza look better and not because not because Mings is bad as some people would would try and spin that probably but because Mings is the kind of player I think who makes his central defensive partners look better because he Mings does so much of the leadership, does so much of the organization, does so much of the work. Like Mings won everything. And, you know, if you have that solid foundation at the back, you're always more likely to win a game of football. Absolutely. I'm going to second that with Mings. I mean, let's be honest, there wasn't too many um, standouts on Friday, but regardless of that, it, it's nice to see Mings prove people wrong again. I mean, I did see people on social media whinging when I think he had that one kind of long stray ball that was basically just a clearance that ended up mm. in the Southampton keeper's hands, but you're never going to please everybody. But again, yeah, he, he makes cons look better. He makes the backline confident. There's that communication that as yep. much as I've been impressed in spurts with Diego Carlos pre-injury, I just feel like we were massively lacking that communication that Mings brings. And that is, well, there's a little rhyme there too, um, but it's so important. And again, I, I found it massively odd that we just put a um, a Brazilian player in his spot that really probably can't speak that great English. <laughs> you kind of almost setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we, we started playing with Carlos and Mings anyways, and that seemed probably would be the way forward as soon as Carlos is back too. But anyways, I'll stop ranting and let's just quickly talk about Villa women on this super long edition of the Holtcast, Tom, because <laughs> why not? Um, of course, they've won today on Sunday, 4-3 over Manchester City women. A massive, massive result in terms of how that starts a season. I, again, we we're pre-recording, we were talking about this and I'm still stunned 
um, to see that they, they start the season that um, late, which is, you never know uh, why that is the reason, I guess, probably because they play less games, but like I said, Tom, a, a massive win. Um, just kind of getting the stats up here. Uh, what I think Rachel Daly had a, was it a goal in, or two goals and an assist or something like yeah. that. Uh, they were two nil up early on, three two down shortly after um, halftime. I think the fifty fifth minute or something like that. They were three two down, scored the equalizer shortly after, and then scored again. I think um, what in the seventy. Uh, ninth minute or something like that as well. I mean, that's one hell of a comeback against a team that has a lot of investment, a lot of definitely promise in that city side. And I'm not going to pretend to be um, extremely knowledgeable about the, uh, the Barclays uh, WSL by any means, but I mean, hell if, if games like that are that entertaining if Villa Park is packed like it is for that kind of game. And they're that exciting. I, I could see a lot of, um, I guess Villa fans getting engaged in the women's side more so even than the men's side if poor performances continue, couldn't you? Well, it's good that one Villa team's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like it's good to good to have something um something going for us in that respect. But I mean it's 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 great, and it? it's great to see it looked like the turnout. I didn't have a way of didn't have a way over in Canada of watching the game. I think actually I, I actually I think it was on I think it was on something like Sportsnet World, which won't mean anything to our non Canadian listeners. <laughs> um but I, I don't have that. I didn't have a way of watching it, but I was following it, you know, on, on social media and saw a couple of clips of the, saw Alicia Lehman's goal and Rachel Daly, her first goal, I think it was fantastic. And I mean, it's just great A to put on such a show and the season opener and then to sort of capitalize, I think, on the natural, you know, the expected heightened interest in women's football. It's been growing up for years and years. And then obviously like England in the summer has done, done, done women's football the world of good and then for Villa to sign Rachel Daly who was like a key pretty key player for England during that tournament and then scores two goals on a debut it's great you know I know actually some had some family uh, some family members back home went to the you know went to the game and I saw that a few people you know uh, uh, quite a few people I follow on you know Villa Twitter were were at the game and I think um, there's a real opportunity this season for the club I think to capitalize on the on the heightened interest and um, try and promote the Villa are quite good at promoting the women's team, but you know even more so because the more people you can get, you know, at the end of the day, you you're going to not only new generations of Villa fans as kids, but Villa fans who grow up watching both the men's team and the women's team and are an equal, you know, are an equal fan of both. I think there's real opportunities to create that kind of situation this year, and what a way to start, yeah. Well, and I think you said you told me a stat uh, pre-recording too that they've already scored thirty percent of the goals they scored last season, or something like that. So, I mean, that's one hell of a start too. <laughs> so reflect well on last season, but reflect very well on on this weekend's result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, it's great to see Villa Park get that filled for this kind of game because I know. In previous times, just kind of either watching or seeing photos that hasn't been, but it seems like there's a lot of excitement and support there. And why the hell not? Like, let's be honest, the men's team is not doing that well. It's great to see, at least like Thomas said, one portion of the uh, football club doing well. And I mean, like I said before, if they're if they're going to be this exciting for most games, I mean, they're going to be probably one of the teams to watch, not only in that league, but probably... Uh, throughout all the football this season because that's one hell of a result and I mean especially you, you probably wouldn't want to give up a 2-0 lead and go 3-2 down but to, to claw it back and score two unanswered that's a that's one hell of a way so good on them and uh, yeah we'll have to keep an eye on and see how they do um, actually I don't think they obviously they don't match the same international break as men's games so they should have a game coming up too I should have actually done more research but Jokingly, and I, I did say this to Tom Pierre recording too, I do love how most of their games are going to be played at the Poundland Bescott Stadium. Um, if you want a worse name for a stadium, please let me know or tweet us at 7500 hold if you uh, have any um, clues of worse uh, football stadium names or arena names in general. Uh, that has to be one of the worst, in my opinion. Do you want to play at Poundland? Probably not. As the in here in where we are, well, where I am in Toronto. Um, Toronto, sorry for our British listeners. <laughs> There's the uh, the Coca Cola Coliseum. Oh yes, um, where the Toronto the Toronto Marlies play, um, which I always think is a quite quite tin pot <laughs> as far as stadium names go. 
Yeah, there's not too much creativity. Like I can think of hockey ones like Scotiabank Arena. Basically everything over here is dependent on sponsorship names. Um, but regardless of that, I'm sure there's other ones. Like we all know, like Tom mentioned pre-recording to uh, the Sports Direct Arena that never quite took off in Newcastle and things like that. Um, of course, like I said, tweet them in. would be happy to uh, read them out and give them a like and uh, yeah, share them around. But anyways, Tom, I think that's good enough. We've been going definitely for more than long enough. So, I'm, yeah. I'm shocked we've got this much out of a, a one nil, a uh, very dull win with a three. I, kn- I knew before we came on and started recording when you said we, we, we'll keep this to 30, 40 minutes. I, I, I was like, <laughs> we always we say that very often and we forget how much uh, when we when we get started, it's hard to stop us, I think. Well, to be fair, last time uh, you were on a time crunch, we needed only half an hour. You only had a half an hour, and That's we did true, it within then. So, well, uh, we'll give ourselves some slack in regards to that, but we'll have to wait and see. But, anyways, hopefully, everyone enjoys this. Of course, show it some support, uh, share it around uh, if you can like it or give it a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have anything over the international break. I'm hoping to have some kind of special episode out maybe next week or kind of the week leading into the Leeds United game. But regardless of that, we should hopefully and for sure we'll be back um, post Leeds or at least hopefully have a preview out. Um, yeah, we'll have to be a little bit more organized here. This uh, The start of the season has been so topsy-turvy, just all over the board. But anyways, it's good to be back and yeah, we'll leave it there. Don't forget up the villa. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.